Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord this morning. We're thankful for a week of ministry to our children with Thomas and Angela Carpenter. What a wonderful week it's been. This morning I've been anticipating for a good while. There'll be something special about today, and you'll see why in just a few moments. Would you help me welcome Thomas and Angela Carpenter to Mag Church? Thomas, come. Thank you, Jesus. Pastor just told me to take my liberty, so I just want to do that because where the presence of the Lord is, there is liberty, there's freedom. I love having freedom. I'm thankful we live in a country where we have those freedoms. Amen? I'm just going to give you a little bio about us because I'm going to reference some of this in the message this morning. So just an introduction. My wife and I are missionaries to people with disabilities. We were asked in the year of 2015 to come to World Missions of the Assemblies of God and, and teach and train pastors and church leaders and missionaries how to deal with people with disabilities and integrate them into the churches and the schools and the communities help people deal with sudden disability issues and and just love on people because people with disabilities are the world's largest unreached people group over a billion people in the world with a disability and 98 percent have never heard the name of jesus but yet if we can teach them about jesus if we can tell them their life is not useless that they have hope they're created for a purpose it brings life it brings liberty it brings happiness and it just makes the church more healthy if you have people with disabilities in your church trust me it does we've seen it happen over and over again thank you jesus i'll get right into the reading of the word this morning i'm going to take a text from mark chapter 10 beginning with verse 17. i love the word i love what this word especially has to say to us today because i think it applies to everyone mark chapter 10 Verse 17 starts out this way, talking about Jesus, and it says, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've done all these things from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, look at this. It says he loved him. He didn't hate this guy. He didn't look at this guy and say, God, you're a dork. You're just, you don't get it, do you? No, he loved him. He said this very compassionately towards him, I believe. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possession. Look at that word right there. He said, he went away sorrowful. He didn't get any better after he left Jesus. He left sorrowful. He stayed sorrowful. It got worse. How do you know? We don't ever hear about this guy again. Trust me, when you walk away from Jesus, it gets worse. When you walk away from the answer, it gets worse. It doesn't get any better without Jesus. It doesn't. 
It only gets better if you do what Jesus asks you to do. This man was disheartened. He had a deal breaker. He had a deal breaker in the contract. He was doing all the right things. He was going to synagogue because they didn't have church at the time. He was doing all the commandments. He was doing everything that he knew to do according to the word. But yet when he was asked to do something a little bit more, he, no, that's, that's too much, too much. Can't do that. Folks, I'm going to give you a testimony here about a healing that happened in my life, sermon. But at any time that you feel like you've got a deal breaker, if the Lord lays on your heart that you have a deal breaker, you need to come right here. Don't worry about where I am in the service. Don't, don't worry about where I am. There's going to be somebody from this church, I, I'm figuring, somebody's going to meet you up here and pray with you about it. And if you don't want somebody to pray with you about it, just politely hold your hand up. They'll get the message. And they'll leave you alone so you can have your alone time with God. But I do believe that if you have something that you need to get right with Jesus, you need to do it anytime as quick as you can. Let me just get that right out there because if you've got a deal breaker, and I've seen some funny deal breakers in my life, I think I could write a book, Brother J.R., a thousand reasons why people have turned their back on God. I'd write that book except I'm afraid people would read that book and find an excuse and do it. I've seen people walk away because their business failed. I've seen people walk away. I, there's a man that, that I know, and, and I love this man, and, and he's, he's gone on uh, to a different place now because he's passed away. Not sure where he went, but I hope he went to heaven. But I, I know this man was in his 60s, and he was so angry and bitter, and I asked him, I said, why? Why, what's the difference? You, you used to be in church. You used to love God. You used to serve God. You, you were a faithful man. He said, my mother died. He was in his 60s. How long was his mother supposed to live? And I asked him, I said, well, oh, was she sick a long time? No, she had a heart attack and she was dead before she hit the floor. I'm like, Lord, that's the way I want to go. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Everybody except uh, maybe Elijah and Enoch and you know, maybe Moses because they couldn't find his body. Th those are the only ones I know of that actually didn't die in the history of mankind. So things happen in our life, but there's no reason to have a deal breaker in our life. There's no reason to have a deal breaker when the deal you get with God is better than any deal you're going to get here not 2012 uh, i mean 2020 that's right i got memory loss from my illness that i had a little bit sometimes i have to look at angela she's my brain and uh yeah in in uh, march of 2020 um i got sick and i got really sick and i remember i was feeling so bad and angela took me to the doctor and it was on a friday and Walked in the doctor's office, and, and the doctor came in. He examined me as having trouble breathing. And uh, I'd had pneumonia before, and so I thought maybe I had pneumonia again. And I, I was like, I just need some medicine. I need something that's going to help me breathe a little bit better. And, well, he comes in normally the first time he came in. And the second time he came in, he had a few more little garments on. And, and uh, he started checking me out. He said, sir, we've, we've given you a flu test. You don't have the flu. Okay. Well, and you don't have typical pneumonia. He said, we think that you have this new thing called COVID. 
COVID-19. He said, we won't know because nobody has tests for those things here in Missouri. That's where we're living. And he said, we don't have tests here. As a matter of fact, no one in the state's going to have them until Monday. We got a special order them in. And so, okay. Well, they kept me there for quite a while, and Angela and I just started getting tickled because every new person that came in had at least two gowns on, at least two masks on, at least two of those head sock things they wear coming in, and, and they were really nervous. And, and I'm thinking, well, no, nobody gets that stuff. That's, that's over in China. That's, that's somewhere else, you know. Surely they're, you know, surely not. And then by Monday, I was so sick, and and I wasn't moving. I wasn't getting out of bed. I was taking all the medicines that they'd given me on Friday. And, and uh, I got a phone call saying, you need to go to a certain parking lot because they're going to give you a COVID test. They wouldn't even let me in the hospital. So they sent me to a parking lot at a, at a school. And I pulled into that parking lot. There's a tent. This nurse came out with all of her stuff. She gave me this COVID test, a, a brain dig thing. And, and uh, they said, it'll be four days before you know whether you have it or not. Okay. So I went back home, and that was on Monday. On Wednesday, I was feeling so bad, and I asked Angela, I said, Angela, if, if I'm feeling this bad tonight, because the symptoms would get worse at night, I'd say, Angela, if, if I'm feeling this bad tonight, would, would you just take me back to the hospital? And she said, well, if you're feeling so bad now, let me just take you now. Well, that was the first miracle that happened, because if Angela had not taken me when she did, may not be standing up in front of you tonight or this morning because I finally made it to the hospital about 5 o'clock after some technical difficulties. I couldn't go without it. I haven't seen a doctor first, so we had to get online and find a doctor. And then by the time they saw me, it was 5 o'clock before I got to the hospital. By 11 o'clock, I was in CCU on a vent. They couldn't get my blood oxygen up above 82, even with full oxygen. And they were concerned about me. And so I'm in a coma for 33 days on a ventilator. I woke up 33 days later not knowing what happened or anything other than, man, I've had a peaceful time. The Lord spoke to me, even in my coma, and he gave me peace. I was in the hospital a total of 56 days, then therapy after that for three months, and, and it took me a long time to do anything. But I want to get back to the deal breaker thing because when I woke up from my coma, I'm in a hospital bed, and I looked down at my arm and my legs. I couldn't move anything. I could move my head from side to side, and, and I could move some abdominal muscles, but that was it. I couldn't move anything. And, and I just looked at myself, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, Thomas, is this going to be a deal breaker for you? And that's some question to ask of a person who doesn't have any control of anything anymore. You know, I've always done everything I've wanted to do. I was a high school athlete. I was a college athlete. I was in the Army. I could run. I could throw. I could do anything I wanted to do, uh, lift weights. I was doing all that sort of stuff, and, and I was always physically able to do anything I wanted to do, and now I couldn't do anything. And I look at my arm, who once was strong. I look at that hand that I can just rotate like this by this point, and, and that's all I could do with it. I, it would flop over, and, and then it would shake like this, like the palsy, and, and I just couldn't control anything like that. And the Lord said, is this going to be a deal breaker for you if I have you live the rest of your life in a wheelchair or on crutches, or you're not going to be able to speak? Because I just heard from the doctor when, 
when she came in, and she told me all the negative stuff. She said, your vocal cords are definitely damaged from the tube that was down your throat, and, and we don't know what the severity of that vocal cord damage is, but we do know that it's severe, and, and you may not ever be able to talk right again. We may have to leave this trach in for a long time. We, you may have to have a prosthetic that you talk with, and, and, and you know we don't know because you're the first person that we've ever had in this hospital that's had COVID. I was one of the very first people in America to have COVID. I was the first one at Cox Hospital for sure. And um, it was just one of those things. They didn't know what to do. They didn't know how to treat it. They were just hearing references from other places on how to treat COVID. And, and COVID is such a weird thing. It affects everybody differently. How do you treat a 55-year-old white guy uh, with COVID different than a 28-year-old person with COVID? They didn't know what to do. I was the guinea pig, and so I'm laying there. I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what's going on, but I'm at peace. And I look at, the, I look at my hand, and I say, Lord, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Whatever it is, Lord, I wouldn't be a very good disability missionary <laughs> if I looked at myself and my condition and say, Lord, I can't serve you if, if I can't fully function. I can't serve you. I can't live for you. God, this is a deal breaker. I'd be a terrible disability missionary if I said that because I tell people all the time, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. God created you for a reason. God is using you, and God will use you if you'll just be faithful. And I looked at myself and said, Lord, I can't even hit the nurse's button to tell them I've got to go to the bathroom. I can't, I can't talk. I can't tell them how I'm feeling. I, I can't control anything. I, I, I don't have any use of anything. But Lord, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it's well with my soul. Now, a lot of people have a lot of different deal breakers for a lot of different reasons. And we look through the scripture and we find a lot of people really turn their back on God for some really strange reasons, Right? Not so strange as, you know, Judas, his, his deal breaker was 30 pieces of silver. If you put in that in today's money, it's $19.20. Wow. You know, Samson, it was some batting eyelashes and a swishy skirt. You know, what about Esau? Bowl of soup. Red beans. Well, we'd go on and on and find out people turn their back on God for all these things, but... Folks, if you've got a deal breaker in your life, get rid of it right now. Get rid of it right now. You say, well, I've lost a spouse. You know what? Jesus knows what we feel. Jesus knows what we're going through. I've lost a child. You know what, Angela and I know about that. And you know what? That's not a deal breaker either. It's been the peace of Jesus that's carried us through that. There are so many things you can say, but you can come to the altar right now. I'm giving an altar call right now. If you've got a deal breaker, you need to make it right with Jesus right now. He will meet you here. He will lovingly take you in his arms, and he will give you peace and assurance everything's going to be all right. Everything is going to be all right. Don't have a deal breaker. It's not worth it. Think about in that hospital and 
I'm laying there, and, and uh, the Lord, again, spoke to me. I didn't have anything else to do. I couldn't move. So it was just me and Jesus just talking. He told me right then, he said, you know, this is not going to be a take-up-your-bed-and-walk moment. This is going to be a long thing for you. But trust me. And when you're laying there helpless, that's all you can do is trust. i got to be honest with you. I hate the song, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. I do. Some people love it. My wife loves it. She sings it all the time. I go, because sometimes it's not sweet to trust. It hurts to trust. I'm not a very trusting person sometimes. Anybody else with me on this? Anybody else find it hard to trust? Oh, but it is sweet to know you can trust in Jesus. So I laid there and I'm trusting. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know um, the events that are going to happen in my life, but I do know that I've seen enough and I know enough that you're going to help me. And I can believe in you. I believe you're going to do something. And I believed God was going to do something sooner than, than later. But then he said, this isn't a take up your bed and walk moment. And I still struggle with the effects of COVID. Even this morning, my feet are firing off these nerve pains in my legs. I've got, I've got things where I shake sometimes because I don't have my motor skills back totally. But you know what? Man, I'm up here. I'm not in the hospital bed. The Lord raised me up. I feel so much better than I did then. And he's opened up so many doors and opportunities because of this. As I'm laying there in that hospital bed, this nurse comes in. Actually, she was my respiratory therapist. Her name was Rhonda. Rhonda's a, a little Native American lady, and she, she comes up, and she's all chipper and, and, and happy and smiling. You, you can see the, the corners of her eyes. Are, they're kind of squinty because she's grinning underneath that mask. You can't see the, the teeth, but you know she's grinning just because she's her eyes. And, and she said, all my patients love me. I'm like, really? <laughs> because I sing to them. And my first thought, I'm laying there to be, can't move, can't run away from this lady or anything. And, and she says, she's going to sing to me. <laughs> Great. I've been around people who say they can sing. I'm thinking, oh, she's going to come into my room. She's going to try to be all chipper all the time. And, and she said, what kind of music do you like? Well, again, I'm nonverbal, so I can't really answer her loudly, but she's watching my lips, and I say, Christian. I said, Christian, except she couldn't hear me. She just read my lips. She said, oh, good, I sing in the church choir. I'm like, great, I did too. I sang by some altos that couldn't carry a tune. I'm like, oh, Lord. And she, she blessed me because she would come in my room with praise on her lips. She came in my room encouraging me. If you're in the healthcare industry, be positive and encourage people. Sing to them. Even if you can't sing, sing to them about Jesus. It brings help. It brings hope. And I remember I'm laying there in that bed, and, and uh, she sings to me, and she's doing all these things. And, and one night, I can't sleep. I don't know the difference between night and day because I'm just laying there. 
Sometimes I sleep during the day and sometimes it was at night. But I remember it was at night. It was before Rhonda came on her shift and there's a song that came in my mind. And it was one I hadn't heard very much up to that point because it was new. But it was a song that basically says, you are here. Healing every wound. You are here. And then it goes on to say, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't hear it, you're working. You're a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. And I started singing that song to myself. And so when Rhonda came in the next morning, she got on at 7 and she comes in my room. She's bringing me some meds or something. And, and uh, she walks up to me and, and she gets right over me so she can read my lips. She said, are you doing okay today? I said, Rhonda, sing to me. And she said, what do you want me to sing? And I mouthed to her, do you know the song Waymaker? Her eyes got really big and she said, I just copied that song off on the the printer, so I'd have the words to come and sing that to you here in just a few moments. Really? And so she went and got the music before she gave me my breakfast, and she sang that song to me, and we sang a duet of one. <laughs> she couldn't hear me. Jesus could hear me. But he is the way maker, and it gave me faith to know that, you know what, the same song that he gave me in the middle of the night, she had already heard from the Lord to sing that. To me to encourage me that's how much the lord is on your side how can you have a deal breaker if god cares that much for you that he will have you in the same mindset as someone else when you're in a desperate need Rhonda was very special i remember another occasion when i'm i'm sitting in my room again I, i'm i can't move they got me tied to the bed because i'm getting a few motor skills by this point and and I'm shaking, and I'm knocking things around. And I, at one point, my knee flopped over and hit the button on the edge of the bed and started putting me in the human taco thing because the bed started. <laughs> and so they had to run in there, and, and Angela happened to be on the phone at the time, and they, you know, they had to get it back flat and straight. So, man, I was just doing all sorts of weird stuff. Couldn't control it. And, and uh, they had me strapped to the side of the bed. But I was so thirsty that tube that was down my throat, and they had one down my throat, one in my nose. I had a trach right here, so another flow-by respirator is going on here. My head was as dry as a desert. I thought I was going to die of thirst. I knew I wasn't because they're feeding me the IV stuff. I'm getting all the fluids I need, but, man, my head was telling me, man, you're thirsty. They would only give me, like, one teaspoon of ice chips every hour because too much water would clog up the flow-by respirator. And so they had to monitor that and so man my mouth was dry I was so thirsty and I, I thought I was going to die of thirst really it was terrible and I, I said Lord could you just let them break the rules let them give me a, a little more to drink I, Lord help me out here this is terrible I'm miserable and he's like well is that all you want is a drink anything else so here my mind starts shooting off things I'd really like because I'm selfish that way. Well, Lord, I'd really like to tell them what I really think. I'd really like to be able to tell them i got to go to the bathroom. I'd really like to be able to tell them all these things and, and uh, if I could just talk. If you give me my voice back, 
Is that it? Well, Lord, you know, I really would like to breathe. I'm tired of this machine going, whoosh, you know, and it's, it's pumping air into my lungs. And I'm like, Lord, if I could just breathe on my own, I'd really like that. And about 20 minutes later, I'm, I'm laying there in the bed, and here comes Rhonda, cheerful, chirpy Rhonda. Love her. She comes in my room. She says, hey, I've just gotten off the phone with the doctor. We're going to do an experiment on you if that's okay. I said, yeah, I'm a guinea pig anyway. Whatever you got. She said, well, the doctor says I can take the tube off your trach and see if you can breathe on your own. Oh, okay, cool. And she said, now, when I take this tube off your trach, we're going to put a cap on that, and you may be able to make some noise, and you may be able to say some words, but don't, don't struggle too hard with it, and, and just, you know, don't hurt yourself. Okay. And so she did. She pulled that hose off of that trach. And as soon as she pulled that hose off my trach, my lungs filled up with the best breath I've ever taken in my life. I, I imagine it's like the first breath a baby takes because it was like, <gasps> wow. And I breathed all the way down to the bottom. It was just like, wow, I, I'm breathing on my own. And, and then she put that cap on that trach and she said, now say something. I said, what do you want me to say? And she went, wow, you've got a strong voice. You sing bass, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and all of a sudden, it's just like, I can talk. I can breathe. And from around Rhonda, here comes my other nurse, Chuck. Now, Chuck is about this tall. He's wearing this, you know, all the, all the wardrobe you have to wear with COVID and all that. And, and he's got this funny hairdo. He's got big, bushy, blonde hair, and it sticks out like a clown, you know, and and he was a funny guy anyway. But out from Rhonda comes Chuck with a popsicle and a glass of water. In 20 minutes' time, the Lord had heard my prayer. And I got the three things that we had just talked about. First thing I did is I got the phone after I ate my popsicle or two. Because it was a double popsicle. So I ate that, drank my water, called Angela up. Angela and my kids were in an Airbnb, and they were having a prayer meeting at that time, praying for me. And I said, hey, it's me. I can talk. It took Angela about three of my sentences before she realized that the Lord had touched my throat, touched my vocal cords. And you can tell, if you've been at the kids' crusade, I've been singing and talking and getting loud with the kids. Have no vocal cord damage at all. Because the Lord is a healer. He knows what you have desires of. He knows what your needs are. He wants to heal you. He wants to touch you. You're not abandoned. You're not alone. He knows what your needs are. And thankfully, the Lord healed me. Just an update. The things that the doctors were really worried about. The permanent lung damage, I have none. Matter of fact, three weeks after uh, I got out of the hospital, I went back and saw the doctor. My doctor checked me out, and she said, I cannot believe those are the same lungs that a month ago we were struggling to keep you alive. They revived me three times in the ICU. 
because of congestive heart failure and pneumonia that had set in. They revived me three times. And now there's no sign that there's ever been anything in my lungs. That's God. Check my vocal cords, nothing. My swallow test, <laughs> we may still have a little problem with that, but I keep swallowing everything that's put in front of me. <laughs> I gained back the 40 pounds I lost in a month, so my swallow test, I guess, is pretty good. But God is a healer. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. But one of the greatest things that happened my whole, in my whole life, but in, in, during my sickness. When I went into the coma, when I was out, I didn't know what was going on, except occasionally I could hear things going on in my room. I could tell when they would jostle me around a little bit, and, and even though I couldn't necessarily open my eyes up, maybe once or twice I did, and I saw a doctor or a nurse in the room, and it was just a, a, a blink of the eye, and, and the eyes would go closed again. But I, I could tell when people came into my room on occasion. And, and I remember that one day these, these doctors and, and this whole group of people came into my room, and they moved me from one bed to another. I found out later that they were moving me from a traditional hospital bed to a rotation bed a bed where they were going to put me like a rotisserie chicken and flip me over and back and forth so they could loosen up all the stuff that was in my lungs. And some of you people that are in the, in the medical field, you know what these beds look like and what they're used for. I don't. I'm, I would just participated in the event. But uh, they, they would flip me over, but they put me in this bed, and I remember opening my eyes just long enough to see these six guys pick up the sheet, corners of the sheet, and drag me over to the other bed. And then I opened my eyes again to see this guy with, um, with these metal panels, these metal bars, and he's putting them over my chest, and he's got a, a screw gun, and he's drilling those things in my bed. And I'm thinking, why are they building this building over me? I, they're putting me in a shed, and they're building it around me. What's going on? Really kind of a freaky thing to think about. I'm laying there. But as soon as they did that, as soon as I quit looking at the metal bars that they're placing across my chest, I look down to my side, and I see my son in the crook of my left arm. My son died in a car accident in 2011. He was almost nine years old. I was with him when he coded in the emergency room at Arkansas Children's Hospital. And I've had so many questions. I questioned so many times. Lord, I was there, and I was praying for him. I prayed that you would heal him, and I prayed that you would bring him back, and that all these things that were going on in his body, that you would heal him, and he would be with us even today. And, and Lord, there's so many questions of why, and, and Buck, what were you feeling, and all these questions of life. And, and the first thing I did, I looked at it, and once I got over the shock, I said, Buck, can you tell me what were you feeling? What was going on? And he said, Dad, what are you feeling right now? I said, I have the most perfect peace I've ever had in my life. He said, Dad, what you're feeling is what I felt. He said, you're where I am. You're where I was. And that's exactly what I felt when I went to heaven. Wow, what a relief. I don't have to worry about it anymore. 
It's awesome. I want to tell you that if, it, if that's death, I'm not afraid anymore. Death is no big deal. Death is not the worst enemy we face. The Bible does tell us that death is the final enemy. It's not the worst one. A marathon runner will tell you that it's not crossing the finish line that's the problem. It's the 26.2 miles that you run before that. That's when you face the wall. That's when you face the, the, the not being able to breathe so well. That's when you're struggling and you're halfway through and you think, oh, I'm just halfway through. I'm dot to dot. Well, no, that's not too bad. But when you cross that finish line, my daughter's in a, well, she, she's a marathon runner and I've gone to her races and, and man, I've seen some of those people, they sprint across that finish line. And I've seen some that drag themselves across that finish line. But the finish line is not the hard part. It's that race. And that's our hard part, folks. It, the running the race is the hard part. You're facing the hardest thing that you're going to face. And that's why we can't have any deal breakers. Because it gets better from here. You're going to hear Dean Caldwell in a couple of weeks, and he's going to tell you about the end-time events. And it's going to sound scary. It's going to sound like something that you need to be worried about. No, not for the believer. Not for the believer, it's not. We have something to look forward to. I mean, if, if all the hope we have is in this life, we have nothing. But we have a greater hope. So I was able to do some things with my son, and, and, and that's a whole other testimony. I'm writing a book about it. You'll have to buy the book later and. Well, we'll just see how that goes. But I want to tell you kind of the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say. And this is where I think I'm really supposed to say this message to the church. This is the message for the church. Sometimes we feel hopeless. We feel useless. We feel like we're powerless. I'm laying in that hospital room. I'm still in my coma. I'm laying there, and as I said before, sometimes I can hear when people come into the room, and, and I'm laying there in my bed. It was on Easter Sunday morning, 2020. Easter Sunday is middle of the day, I guess. Laying there, and I hear two people in my room, so I'm trying to figure out what they're saying because I know that I'm in a hospital. I know that I'm laying there, and Lord, I want to know what's going on with me. What, what is this? Because I went in the hospital before, before I even knew I had COVID, so I didn't know what I had. I was just in there laying there in that bed trying to figure out what's wrong with me, and I hear these two people in my room, and they began to pray. And I thought, wow, my medical staff, they're praying people, and man, they're even Pentecostal because they're praying in tongues. Yeah, this, hey, man, this is great. I know I'm, I'm living in Springfield, Missouri, Mecca to us Assembly of God people. I mean, we, we, I, we, we live right in the Bible Belt, so it's like, yes, they're Pentecostals. I like it. And then there was about 10 people in the room, and they're all praying. Well, I've been a preacher's kid and in the ministry long enough to know that when you get 10 or 12 people in a room, it's usually not a good thing because they've called the family in. Then I started getting a little worried. It's like, well, Lord, okay. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm going on. That's good because I didn't feel anything at this point. And then just as instantly as those 10 people in the room, it sounded like 100 people. And then it sounded like I was in a stadium full of people. It was loud. 
It was actually like the voice of many waters that you read about in the book of Revelation. It was so loud. People were praying. They were praying in languages that I had never learned, but I understood what they were saying. They were praying in English. They were praying in languages that I did, uh, that I did recognize. People that worked with and, and, and people from other countries we'd, we'd gone into their churches and I could tell that that's who they were. I even heard people who we work with with disabilities who are nonverbal. Now I know what they sound like because I heard them pray. I even heard how people sound when they write stuff out because people were writing prayers down. And I heard those just like Jesus was hearing those. And again, it did sound like a touchdown scored at the biggest stadium. It was just like, wow, Lord. And they're praying for me. These people are praying for me. Lord, I didn't know I had so many friends. I didn't know that there'd be so many that would even know about me. And yet I'm hearing all these voices. And then it was like the Holy Spirit would take a microphone and drop it down in front of somebody's face, just like this, and I would hear their voice above the others. And and I heard my dad praying. I heard my grandmother praying. My grandmother's been gone th since 2007. And I'm like, Lord, how did she know that I was sick? Well, she's praying in the Spirit. And the prayers of the saints are being continually poured out before the throne of God over and over and over again. So it's, it's like on a continuous track before the, before the throne. So those prayers that you pray now, you're praying for your kids, your lost loved ones. You're praying for needs that you have, and you don't see the answer for it. Know that God is still here in the prayers. Your prayers are not useless. Your prayers are not just bouncing off the ceiling like you think they are. They are being poured out before the throne of God continually, and he's hearing them over and over and over again. And those prayers that my grandmother prayed when she didn't even know what she was praying for because she was praying in the Spirit, she was praying for me. Didn't even know it. I heard other people, friends of mine, that were praying. And then I heard this one voice that said, Lord, would you please heal my wonderful husband, Thomas? I need him. Got my attention. I said, Lord, even though I didn't see the Lord, if I'd have seen the Lord, I'd have stayed. I really think so. If I'd have seen the throne of God, I'd have just stayed. But I heard a voice say, I need him. Lord, would you heal him? I need him. And so I said, Lord, i got to get up. i got to wake up. And it was that moment my eyes opened. Easter Sunday, 2020. My eyes popped open. I looked over uh, to my right, and there was this uh, little nurse over there, a little male nurse, and found out he's from Thailand. His name is O or Tu or one of those one-syllable names. And, and I looked up at him just like this, and, and it scared him. He jumped, and he said, oh, sir, you gave me a fright. We've been kind of worried about you. And then he made a call, and then it was dozens of people in my room. Now, i got to tell you, I was the only person in that COVID unit. Been there a month. That was a month before just about anybody else. And so being the guinea pig I was, here's all these people. You couldn't have fit another person in the room. They started undressing me and started poking and prodding and trying to figure out what's going on and is this number right or is this number right and all my numbers, they were getting really excited because my 
oxygen level just started shooting right up to normalcy and, and my blood pressure went right where it's supposed to be. My heart rate got back into good rhythm and, and, and it was just like they were so excited. It was like a party going on because when the Lord decides to touch you, he can touch you in a moment. My numbers were good, but I still couldn't move. And I didn't have any clue what they were doing. And then they packed me up and moved me to another hospital, especially hospital. But I just want you to know that when you pray, you're creating a spiritual energy in heaven where it moves God to action. Because the Lord hears our prayers. He hears them. Your prayers are important. Sometimes we as a church, we forget how important prayer time is. We pass it off as just the last thing to do. Oh, has it come to that yet? We've got to pray? No. People understand prayer touches the heart of God. If it wasn't for prayer, I wouldn't be here today. And can I ask the question, how many of you in this room prayed for me? Anybody ever? I see a few hands going up. Hey, I see my cousin Sandra back there. I know she prayed. I know her folks prayed. I know Mamma prayed. I heard her. No pop prayed. I heard him. Folks, I want to tell you, your prayers are important. Your prayer changes things. You're more powerful than you think you are. And sometimes we get discouraged and we want to throw it all away and say it's not worth it. Struggle's too hard. You can't afford to have a deal breaker when you've got a tool as powerful as prayer in your arsenal. Are you, are you hearing this? Does it make any sense? Folks, you prayed, God answered, I'm here as a testimony of that. I'm standing here. If you came to Kids Crusade this week, you probably saw me dancing and jumping and moving around on stage. You probably saw, I'm going to give my secret away. Some of you kids, well, I guess they're in children's church. Don't tell them, but I was, I was Mr. Hawaii. I was Paco Taco when I came in dancing and shaking my maracas and playing my ukulele and running all over the front. You know what? Because God's a healer. Because people still know how to pray and you know how to pray and keep praying no matter what the circumstance looks like. It's not too hopeless. You may be in that dry place where I was where I just wanted a drink. God's going to give you a popsicle. You keep praying. He's going to give you that spiritual popsicle. Man, I think I ate six or eight of those that day because the blessings of God are good and you just want more. I got that first popsicle and man, I'm still addicted to popsicles. I got some in my freezer right now. When I get back to Missouri, I'm going to pull one out and eat some more. Why? Because the things of God are good. The blessings of God are good and you get one, you want more. So I want us to come and if you've had problems thinking that your prayers are not working, I want you to give it one more chance. I want you to give it one more chance. I am going to ask. I, I'm even begging you because I know the power of prayer. I want every believer who's ever doubted that their prayers worked, I want you to come and I want you to come and find a place to pray right now and let Jesus prove himself to you. Would you come and let Jesus prove himself to you that he hears your voice? Your voice changes the course of heaven when you pray.
This is a good time for young people to come and find a place to pray because there's a lot of questions during these young days, these decisions that are made. God hears your voice.
I want to talk to you just a second about the prayers of the saints. Someone here heard this incredible testimony. <laughs> well, I, I thought I was going to get raptured when you started talking about voices <laughs> that begin to thunder like the, like the many waters. Somebody needs to know this morning that it's scriptural. Somebody needs to know I had a father-in-law for my first wife that when he was dying and he knew it, he would say, God, I can't go, I can't go. No, there's nobody on earth to pray for my kids. Nobody to be left to pray for my kids. And I remember on his deathbed, his testimony, when the Holy Spirit said to him, I have every prayer you've ever prayed and I'll continue to pour them out. I have every prayer, I've called every one of them, and I'll continue to pour them out. That I read in Revelation chapter five just a few minutes ago. It says that he is speaking about Jesus, the Lamb of God. It says he had taken the book and the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. God didn't waste anything. You've never prayed a prayer that He's going to waste. The prayers that you pray in intercession 
He keeps them all. And at their appointed time, I believe everything has an appointed time. At their appointed time, he's going to pour them out. Some mama somewhere, some daddy somewhere, some cousin, some aunt, some brother, some sister, some friend needs to hear this morning that he's heard, that he's kept every one of them. That he heard it. And he's still a prayer answering God. Church, he's still a prayer answering God. I'll remind you, because we're in a war, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not fleshy. But the weapons of our warfare are mighty through God. Use your weapons. Pray, not your last resort, your first offense. Go on offense. Pray, church. Pray. Father, I love you today. And I'm thankful that you're good. <laughs> Lord, I, I'm thankful that your ways are right. And the righteous can walk in them. I'm thankful that when I don't understand that you're still God. And Lord, today I call on you again to uplift the hearts of your people, that we would raise our gaze higher and look to the hills from which comes our help, that we would know afresh and anew that our help comes from the Lord. Lord, and I pray today that we leave encouraged and that we leave knowing that the prayers of the saints are powerful. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Before we leave, real quick, if we could have our ushers back, we want to receive an offering for Thomas and Angela Carpenter in their ministry. It's a message for the hour that we live in, a message of hope. Thank you, Thomas, for coming and bringing that message. Lord, bless it. Multiply it, send it all over the world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I believe. I believe you're my I believe that you Thank you.